The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, let's get to it. Luke 4, 14 through 15. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let's just look at that just for a moment. Notice something. Jesus is returning from his wrestling match with Satan in the wilderness, but he's not returning with his head hanging low, exhausted, staggering, suffering, beaten and bloodied Savior. No, it says in the power of the Spirit. He returns as a victorious head crusher. Now you might think that's strange language, but really we see it in Genesis 3 where Jesus is the promised one who will crush the head of the serpent. Now it didn't happen in this moment, but, but listen, it will happen on the cross and at the resurrection. And so he is emboldened now and he's going to begin his ministry. And so he goes out. I think it's important to remember he's in the power of the spirit, right? Don't, don't picture him strutting around with swagger, Right? This, is a, this is the humble God man. Um, but don't miss this. The news of Jesus is spreading like wildfire throughout the region. Right? You, you can see it. Right? Went throughout, the report about him went throughout all the surrounding country as he taught. And so Jesus is riding a little bit of a wave of power and popularity because of his preaching and his teaching in the synagogues. Now he returns, listen, as a hometown hero. He's going to go to the synagogue in Nazareth, where no doubt many Saturdays he spent, probably all of them. So he was there, like a good Jewish boy. And listen to what it says, picking it up in verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And, and listen, you should picture that. What does it look like? First off, a synagogue was, was not necessarily a building. It was much more a gathering of a people. And they would open the scriptures and they would remind themselves of their Bible, which would have been the Old Testament. And they would, they would have someone teach. They would have someone read from the Psalms. They would give the blessing that Moses gave to the people and, and all these different things. But they'd have someone open the Bible and teach. Okay, now they've all heard about Jesus and they know he's going to be there on Saturday and it's packed. And you can just picture it right now. We've got to hear what Jesus has to say. We've heard about him all in the surrounding counties and countries. He's coming to us. He's going to open the scroll. He's going to teach. Let's go. So everybody, even the people who are just, you know, like Christers, Christmas, Easter, they're showing up on Saturday. And they want to hear what Jesus, the God-man, has to say. Although they don't know he's the God-man, right? And so it's probably record attendance that day. And uh, the hometown hero comes to herald the word. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and notice it says he found the place where it was written. And so he's coming in, he's got a plan, right? And listen to what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Pause. You feel it? Feel the tension? Imagine this moment right now. He just reads, he hands it over, and it's a scene. I mean, Jesus intentionally goes right to this spot in the book of Isaiah, and he delivers good news. And, and, and if you look it up, you'll see that it's Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, with a little bit of 58, verse 6. Why does that matter? Well, because there's, there's something really interesting about it. He leaves off a particular phrase or a sentence in Isaiah 61 to the second half. You know what it says? And the day of vengeance of our, and this is the day of vengeance of our God. He leaves it off. Is he like, you know, what is he, like a seeker sensitive preacher? He doesn't want to offend the folks. I think you'll find that's not true. Um, he, this is a time of, of grace and mercy. 
There will come a day when judgment will come, but it's not today. Don't make the mistake of thinking that Jesus was afraid to discuss judgment. As we go throughout the book of Luke, I promise you, he will, and he's not afraid, right? He is the judge, and he will judge every human being of all time, and and it will be based on his perfection, not your understanding of what's good or bad. But right now is not the time for that. In John, we learned that he didn't come to judge the world. He said, the world's already judged. You're guilty. He said, I have come to save the world. I've come to bring grace, mercy, and peace. So we actually live in this season where forgiveness is available, grace is available, mercy is available, and Jesus is saying, come to me and you'll have life. Well, this is the beginning of just that. It's time for the Lord's favor. It's a time for a season of grace. (laughs) Now, that's an attention grabber. Everybody's pretty excited about that message. You could probably hear a pin draw, and the people are kind of waiting for a conclusion because all he did was read the scroll, and they're all looking at him. I don't know where he's sitting in the synagogue, but there he is, and every eye's fixed upon him, and they're waiting. What will he say? What will he say? Well, we don't have to guess. Look what it says. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? (laughs) Okay, Jesus smashed it out of the park. That's a mic drop moment right there, right? I mean, he's sitting there. Everyone's looking at him. What's he going to say? And he says, what you just heard me say has been fulfilled. That's good news, by the way. Now, everyone loves it. They're all excited. Those are gracious words. How could they not be excited? That's a good day to be at that service. You don't want to miss that Saturday service. They're there, and they're loving Jesus. Jesus brought some good news of deliverance of the oppressed and the outcast. But not only that, I mean, Jesus is essentially telling them he is the prophet that's promised, and he is the Messiah that's promised. He is good news. He is good news embodied, right? And he's the one who would be sent in the power of the Lord to, be, to bring good news and to declare captives are going to be set free. People are going to be liberated, the poor, right? Now, everybody seems pretty excited about the Lord's favor. And so he could have just went home right there and he would have been trending in an instant. Everyone would have been like, this guy's awesome. He read the scripture. He told us it's fulfilled. I think it's probably true. But here's what you got to know. Um, those, there's people that seem to be beyond the reach of the Lord's favor, right? But they don't actually think that's them. So he continues. By the way, this is why we've titled Luke's sermon series, A Feast for Failures. you got to get this, right? Only those who understand that they have failed to live up to the law of God will receive grace. So this is a feast for everybody, but not everybody wants to come to that table and eat. And these folks, well, how about them? Well, once again, we we just don't have to guess. What's it say? Well, let's look. He he makes this proclamation of good news and the poor. Notice a couple of things, though, before we jump into the rest of it. Notice his, he outlines his mission, right? Notice that Jesus' sermon mentions four classes of people who would benefit from his ministry, right? Notice them. The poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. Let's take the poor first. By the way, this no doubt means... You don't got much money in the bank, right? You're broke. It no doubt means that. But it definitely means more than that, right? Poor within the Bible many times would would have this understanding of poverty of every kind. Moral, spiritual, mental, like mental faculties are broken, right? You're depressed. Financial poverty, for sure. But in one word, it was really just outcast. You're just poor. You got no friends. You got no money. You ain't got nice threads. No one cares about you. Okay, they're the losers in the race to be cool (laughs) and to have honor and to have power. No one sees them. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming for you. I see you. Right. So don't miss that. How about captives? Um, It could mean people in prison, but it's actually prisoners of war, not in a literal sense, but much more those who are shackled in spiritual darkness right? They are shackled by guilt. They are shackled by shame. They are shackled and enslaved to all types of sexual perversions because they love their father, the devil. By the way, in case you're confused, that was all of you until Jesus saved you. You're like, I never loved the devil. You might not have outright loved the devil, but you loved you. 
You loved you, and you did what made you happy until Jesus gave you a new heart to love him. None of us are born just like, as soon as you're born, you know, the doctor spanks you, you cry a little bit and say, Jesus. It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way at all, right? You are born, listen, the Bible teaches an enemy of God, a a rebel of God. You're like, I never hated God. You did. You may not remember it. That's called grace and shown up in an amazing way at a young age that you don't remember it. But I promise you, you did. You didn't want to do the things God called you to do. You wanted to do things your way. And as long as God fit into your plan, you were fine with that. Well, Jesus don't work like that. So he's saying, I'm coming to set captives free. Those who are bound by Satan in the prison of sin and shame. Notice the next one, blind. Yeah. This includes those men. They may not be able to see physically. All right. It definitely includes that. He's going to heal physically blind people. That's for sure. But it's much more of spiritual realities. They cannot see what is true. They don't want to see what is true. They'd rather hang out in darkness. John talks about this all the time in the beginning of his gospel. It's not that you're like, you're just in darkness and you're like, oh, he says you're lovers of darkness. The Bible over and over says it's not that you're a victim of darkness. You might be a victim, but you are also a victimizer. You love being in the dark corners doing your own thing. And Jesus says, well, I'm I'm coming for you too. See, they're blind because of their sin, and they sit in darkness. You know, there's people in this world who are physically blind and can see stunning realities of gospel truth. And then there are people who have 20-20 vision without the LASIK surgery, and they are blind to the realities around them. They cannot see. What Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming for those who stumble in spiritual darkness. Now, he will, he will heal blind people physically to point to a greater reality. He will do that. And, and they're going to receive their sight, and that's going to be a great thing. But to see spiritually is the greatest gift of all. To see Jesus as beautiful is the greatest gift of all. And if you see Jesus as beautiful, a miracle has happened in your heart. You didn't wake up loving Jesus. Jesus had to do that. He, he, the Holy Spirit came into your heart and caused you to be alive. Yeah, Gabe. Woo, he's excited. All right. We need more folks that are excited. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, how about the oppressed? The oppressed has a meaning of, of people who are just broken in pieces or crushed by life circumstances. Um, whether it's failed systems or their own sinful behavior, um, they're trapped and they see no way out. This is, this is the people that Jesus is coming for. You're like, Do you fit in any of those? Did you fit in any of those? If you're in Christ, you had to have fit in those because you come to understand that this is who Jesus has come to rescue. This is his mission. Jesus comes to those who are squashed by life circumstances, right? Who can see no way out of their situation. And and, and here's the thing. They find living itself an oppression. They just want to die. They just want to tap out. I'm telling you, I'm talking to people throughout the week and and depression and anxiety and fear and just lack of hope is at an all-time high that I've ever seen in my entire life. What do they they need? They need hope. They need real freedom. They need real liberty. And Jesus has come to give life abundantly. By the way, not necessarily just in the future. He's saying, I myself am life. And so this is who I'm coming for. I'm coming for those who are far from me. By the way, this is the kind of prosperity preaching I can get down with. Because this is true prosperity. Jesus is treasure. To come to faith in Christ is treasure. It's real treasure that your heart desires or longs for. You may, not, you may be thinking right now, my heart don't long for that. I know. That's why you need a new heart. That's why you need new sight. You might be longing for all sorts of things. You might be saying, man, if I just had a man or a woman, then I'd be satisfied. Maybe for a season, maybe for a moment, probably not for long. You might, if I just had, and you could fill in the blank, our hearts desire treasure. The problem is what your heart longs for, whether you know it or not, is real treasure, Christ. And Christ has come to open your eyes to your reality. And, and this is what he's saying. So, But listen, not everyone sees themselves fitting in those categories, right? 
And, and some of them are in that, that gathering. They hear poor, and what they think is, the king's here to give me some cash, right? They hear captives, and they're like, yeah, my cousin's in prison. Hopefully he'll get out. They hear blind, and they're like, man, we're going to get some sight. Man, my eyes have been really jacked, and I can't just go to the eye place and get the surgery because there isn't one of those. This is good news. They hear oppressed, and they're like, good. Finally, we can be out from underneath the oppression of Roman authorities, they were like, Jesus is going to do some dog and pony tricks for us. That's good. I'm pretty excited about that. And, and it's so cool because Jesus won't allow those trite things to be in their head for long. He just won't. He doesn't care about trending on Twitter and getting all his information out there and quoted. He wants to bring clarity in that moment. And so he does. Look at verse 23 with me. Okay. Everyone's excited. Jesus the preacher, whoo, that's good news, Jesus, let's go home, let's get some turkey. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. He's challenging them. Well, this is about, if you don't like confrontation, close your ears, don't actually do that. He, he said, I, doubt, I bet you won't quote me this. Quote, quote me what? Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, right? I, I hear you're doing these amazing things. You're healing people. Everyone's getting better. Do that here. He's saying, you're asking me to do, I bet you won't ask me to do that in this hometown. Why does he say that? What are you doing, Jesus? They love you. They got Jesus t-shirts on. They got Jesus is my homeboy on. Why are you doing this? You're ruining it. And you're a little bit of a buzzkill. What's happening? Jesus is saying, there's no hometown advantage for you. <laughs> I know you. I grew up here. I know this is the, the synagogue I spent every Saturday in. You guys think I owe you something. I don't, I don't actually owe you anything. He knows they want him to do something for them that has nothing to do with why he came. He sees it. They want cash. They want to cash in on the hometown prophet. Come on, do something for us. Do some healing, Jesus. Do some tricks. Jesus went right for the heart of the matter. He saw their spiritual pride. He saw their spiritual self-sufficiency. And here's what he says. You like the Bible, huh, guys? Well, let's get some more Bible. I'll just paraphrase it, though, he said. That's me saying that. He gives two examples from the Old Testament. Listen, once again, he said, truly, he said, I say to you, no prophet's acceptable in his hometown. By the way, that prophecy is about to be fulfilled in his hearing, <laughs> right? But in truth, he says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And listen, ready? Do you remember? Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal? But she wasn't Jewish. She wasn't Jewish. You think, you think Israel had some Jewish widows? Let's say yes. Well, if you're like, you're not convinced. Let's keep going. And then there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet of Elisha, and, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. Oh, another Gentile. This is offensive. <laughs> you may not understand all the cultural offense, but here's what's happening. Jesus is preaching some straight fire to them. And he's giving them two illustrations. He's saying the ministry of Elijah and Elisha was a big deal, right? You guys remember that, right? And they're like, yeah. Well, during the great famine, when everybody was hungry, Israel had widows and Elijah didn't go to them. He went to what you would say is your enemies. And oh, by the way, do you think that we had some lepers during the time of the other prophet and he just went to, oh, wait, another Gentile? Why, why is he saying this? See, see, here's the thing. The application Jesus wants them to get is it implies that unrepentant Israel may be judged and passed over so that Gentiles might be recipients of the blessing and they understand what he's saying, I promise you. Why would he do that? Because he understands they don't see themselves as poor. No, they're not spiritually poor. They don't see themselves as spiritually blind. They don't see themselves as spiritual captives that need set free. It's all those other pagans out there, Jesus. you got to go do that there. We don't need that. What we need is blessing. And what we mind but mean by blessing is make it rain, baby. And he's like, eh, I, don't, I don't think you're picking up actually what I'm laying down. 
Oh, they're picking it up now, though, because the citizens, the fine citizens of Nazareth, they understand, and they had heard enough. It was bad enough to be told that they were poor. It was bad enough to be told that they were blind. It was bad enough to be told that they were captives and oppressed. But now you're telling us that we might be less spiritual and less wise than the Gentile widows and lepers? Not cool, Jesus. Not okay, Jesus. And so what happens? You want to talk about church trauma. Listen, verse 28, chapter 4. When they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath. Wrath. They're angry. So angry that they rose up, they drove him out of town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. Why? So that they could throw him off the cliff. Whew. Jesus. But he, he did his best Heisman, right? He slipped him, and he went away. Why? Because his time's not yet. What was their response? To kill Jesus. <laughs> On the Sabbath of all days. Wow. I mean, the hits just keep coming. Jesus is wrestling with Satan. Now he's wrestling with the synagogue. It's spilling out into the streets, and they want to murder him. The service began with smiling people. Oh, they're applauding. They're so exciting. But it ends in threats. It ends in them breathing out threats and attempted murder. Now, you don't want to miss that day at church. That's something to talk about. Notice Jesus' preaching cuts them wide open. Cuts them wide open open. Uh, Don't ever forget, Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, and it leaves us all essentially naked and exposed before God. It reads you. You think you read the Bible, but if you're reading the Bible, it's reading you, and it's reading their mail, and that mail ain't good, and they see it, and they want to run, and they want to hide, and there is no place to go, so they're exposed, and I bet they were in their best Saturday clothes. But they were so shiny, so happy, so lovely. Oh, yeah. And, and they do that on a Saturday, but then they go out to eat, and they're probably treating their waiters and waitress terrible because they got a heart problem. But they don't think they do. That's everyone else out there, not us just shiny, happy, church-going folks. Wrong. Jesus' preaching cuts them wide open. And what does it reveal? It reveals gangrenous religious facade. It's just fake. Man, Jesus, his message packs a punch. By the way, that is how gospel preaching works. It either brings healing or hardening. There's no in-between. I'm just kind of cool. Me and Jesus, we're kind of cool. Probably not. Probably not. It either brings, I'm not right and I need help. That's called repentance. It's turning from sin. It's turning to Christ. Or it brings, is he talking about me? Is he he talking about me? Is he saying, I'm religious? Well, if that's your posture, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm not your Holy Spirit. You work that out. Here's the thing. What was the problem? They assumed God owed them grace. Those people in that synagogue assumed that God owed them something. Can I just tell you right now? Because of our sin against the holy God, the only thing we're owed is wrath in eternity in a real place called hell forever. That's all you and I deserve. But God in his kindness, he's given us so much more. He's given us his son. That's good news, right? So so here's the thing. There's folks, no doubt, in there that grew up on VeggieTales. I'm not knocking VeggieTales. It's cool, right? They grew up in the homeschool co-op. They grew up memorizing all the texts. They went to Awanus. They got the patches. It's really cool, but they wanted nothing to do with God. And that was the problem. That message is for other people. It's not for us. And he sees it. Don't let that be you. Because they're going to watch his back as he walks away. Don't let that be you. Don't miss an opportunity right now to take stock of your own pious presumptions. (laughs) Right? You know what I mean? Commit yourself to coming to Jesus based on his kindness, on his mercy, on his grace, and on his terms. Because there's no other way to come to him. There's just no other way to come to him. How must you come as a sinner begging to receive grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And guess what? You don't have to beg long. Why? Because he loves. Oh, he loves to pour it out on folks like that. Because really, that's the only people who see God in that moment. See, 
If you don't understand that, then what happens is religious rigor mortis starts to set in. And you start seeing yourself as the hero of all the stories, and it's all the people out there. They're the problem. Those folks, you know those folks. They got flags, and they vote the wrong way, and blah, 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 blah. And all the while, you're just missing the point. You shouldn't even be thinking about those folks unless you're saying, man, how do we show them the love of Christ because I've received the love of Christ? Because they're lost in the domain of darkness, just like you were at one time. By the way, side note, if a preacher's trending and everyone loves them, chances are they're not preaching the Bible. By the way, there's people that are trending and always preach hearts too, but that's just because they're surrounded people just like them. Gospel preaching offends the religious and the irreligious. It offends those who are lost in their sin of outward rebellion, and it offends those who are lost in their sin of religion. It offends both, and then it causes us both just to come by God's grace to receive as a beggar. Right? And that's all we're seeking to do here. So if, if there's any young men in here that's like, I want to get into pastoral ministry um, so that I can be liked and validate my life, could I just encourage you to do anything else? Because what you'll do is you'll cash in on the gospel, and, and you'll, just, you'll just lower the self. Charles Spurgeon said this about that. He said, if, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of pastoral ministry, stay out of the ministry. If any student in this room, he's talking to pastor, aspiring pastors, could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way, right? There's so many churches around this world that, and they're just filled with pastors who, they're longing to be liked, and so they water down the word, and they surround themselves with, with people who just need to prop them up. They're not actually there to serve sheep, they're there to be served by sheep, and they're shipwrecking their faith and the faith of many other people, and, it, and it's, it's just, it breaks my heart. True gospel ministers are seeking to be poured out for the joy of others for the sake of Christ. That's why, right? So they have an audience of one, right? Think about it this way, just, and then I'll be done with this little side note. I think it's important, though. Um, imagine if you had a doctor and you have cancer, okay? And you go into the doctor's office and they do the scans and they find out you have cancer. And then immediately what they realize is you're gonna die, sucker. And so he doesn't want to hurt your feelings because it's Friday and he knows you have a big weekend plan. And so what he says is like, hey, I just want you to know it's not that big of a deal. I think, you know, you're just getting older. You're a little more tired. Uh, that's why you're exhausted all the time. I need you to change your diet. I need you to increase your vitamins. You know, get a little exercise in. You're getting a little chubby around the waist. I think you'll start to feel better. Does that doctor love you? No. Would you go to that doctor? No, but can I tell you how many people go to that pastor in that church? A lot. A lot. Jesus... You might think he's being rough. He loves them. He, he loves them. He needs them to see. He's not saying this to hurt their feelings. He's saying this because he said, wake up to the present reality that you're in. Israel, you think you're my children. You're not really children of Abraham. You don't know me. You don't love me. I've come to love you, though. And this is what love looks like. Our culture doesn't understand this at all. Oh, you hurt my feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But if the truth hurts and it's said in grace and it's the gospel that's offensive to you, then be offended. But if I'm offending you for any other reasons, that's not okay. Make the main thing the main thing. Jesus is making the main thing here, right now. See, Jesus has been sent to the unlikely, the poor the unimportant, the loser, the outsider. Jesus is understanding, this is my mission to bring good news to people who are ready to receive. That's his mission, right? And, and so if that's his mission, then it's got to shape our mission as a church, right? Just listening to two guys uh, in a, it wasn't a debate, it was a discussion. It was a fantastic discussion. And one of the men, he's been in ministry for over 50 years. He said, you know, America right now is not in a postmodern culture. Uh, you may not even understand that language, but that's okay. He says, we're actually in a pre-Christian culture. And I was like, pre-Christian? 
That's weird, right? Because Christ has come, right? Uh, and he's coming again. But what he means is, is we're so far off the reservation and radar, it's just like Rome was before Christ entered it. And I thought, boy, isn't that the truth? And what couldn't they hear? Truth. They couldn't hear it. They're ready to kill Jesus for bringing news. Well, let's continue. Let's continue. Point one. <laughs> Don't get nervous. Maybe get nervous. Point one, gospel ministry requires clarity of mission. That's our text. What do we do with it? That's what we've got to work at now, right? Gospel ministry requires clarity of mission. For the city church exists, listen, to magnify Jesus. We exist to make the name of Jesus more famous where we live, where we work, and where we play. In every facet of life, we want to keep pushing him up, we want him to continue to increase and us to decrease. That's why we exist. How do we plan to do that specifically? By making disciples that are, that are distinct. Disciples who will what? Share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches, autonomous churches, churches on their own that will multiply in the city of Greensburg and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're going to give our lives to. And you're like, but I'd like to do a bunch of other things. Well, if it meets that mission, we will. And if it doesn't, we probably won't. We probably won't. Not that it's a bad idea. It just doesn't work for that. Because here's the deal. It's too easy for churches to become complacent, content to keep the gospel to themselves, and to only share it with those who are, you know, upper middle class folks just like me. I'm not actually upper middle class, but I'm doing well. Um, <laughs> right? By the way, that kind of thinking is scandalous. And, it, and it's, it's, it's warping so many gospel ministries in this world, and it's nothing like the ministry of Christ. Pay attention as we go through the gospel of Luke. Just notice where he goes and what he does. Pay attention. Ask yourself, right? Ask yourself, are there people that would, that would feel welcome in this church gathering? Are there people who wouldn't feel welcome in this church gathering? Ask yourself that, right? I ask myself that all the time. I'm excited to tell you I feel that they would feel welcome. I, I, just, I all the time hear it as I, I ask people. They're like, man, I felt really seen today. I felt really loved. Thanks. And they might not love Jesus, but they're feeling the love from these folks, right? right? Ask yourself, are there, are there kinds of people that you wouldn't invite over to your house for a meal? Now we're getting personal. They're a little smelly. They might steal something. My aim is just don't have anything that's too exciting to steal, and no one will care. <laughs> I mean, you won't know it's gone, right? Okay. Are there kinds of people that you find too messy and too inconvenient to share the love of Christ with? Because really what you think is that the gospel is not powerful enough to save them. That's unbelief. Root it out. Bring it before the Lord. Confess it. If so, take serious note of that because you have mission drift happening in your heart. Why? Because these are the kind of people that the Lord declared his favor upon. The question becomes is, does your favor rest upon them? It's a good question to wrestle with. I wrestled all week. It's your turn. And I'll keep doing it. Notice this too. Jesus didn't start a healing ministry. Although healing will happen, Jesus, his agenda, his mission is not some kind of sappy social reform. It's not. We want to take and make Jesus do that. John Piper is very helpful here, by the way. He says this. He says, Christians care about all suffering. Listen to the words, especially eternal suffering, right? Christians care about all injustices, especially injustices against God. That's the Christian. That's the tension, right? There's two, two ways to swing wildly when it comes to this. Those who are going to make sure that we go and feed the poor, but we never actually share good news with them because that might offend them and they might be a little bit upset about that. So we're going to just do a little feeding ministry, right? And then there are those who say, I don't want to feed anyone. We, we, they're going to go to, to hell fat. Let's just give them the good news and tell them they're going to hell and Jesus came to save. Well, I think both are a little bit whack, right? There's two tribes, though, in that moment, right? See, 
Some will say I'm an activist for justice and life and wholeness and flourishing apart from the Word of God, although they would say it's a Christian ministry. And then there are others who are saying essentially that I'm not going to be distracted by all that because they're going to hell, so we've got to love them with some truth. And, and I just got to tell you, both camps are wrong because they're incomplete. They're just incomplete. My hope is that for the city church, we can all, by grace, say, without flinching, we will joyfully live in the tension and not make that choice. We will humbly say we care about all suffering now and especially suffering later. And if you just give people peanut butter and jelly, that's nice, but they, they, they will go to hell with a full belly. And if you never give someone a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and actually show you love them, you've misunderstood grace and truth. Churches that truly represent Jesus embrace both grace and will feed the poor, care for the sick, minister to the oppressed, rescue the orphans, speak up for the unborn, and love the mom who had the unthinkable act. It's what you do. Or you're not in step with Jesus' ministries. Um, two quotes, and then we'll go to point two, and we'll, we'll land the plane soon. Um, I know you're all staying because you want turkey. So, okay. There was a second century Greek philosopher. Uh, he was an early opponent of Christianity. Listen to what he said. He said, instead of the clean and the worthy, Christ is followed about with the rag, tag, and bobtailed of humanity trailing behind him. He's, he's mocking Christians, right? That's what he did. But then there's this other dude, and he's a second century theologian, and he, he counters that argument. He says, yes, but he does not leave them rag, tag, and bobtail of humanity. Bobtail is such a fun word. Uh, but out of the material, you would have thrown away as useless. He fashions men, you could say, and women and children, giving them back their self-respect, enabling them to stand up on their feet and look God in the eyes. They were cowed, cringing, broken things, but the Son of God has set them free. <laughs> I'm ready to give my life to that. I'm giving my life to that. That's what I'll do till I die. So help me, God. Will you? I know many of the people looking back at me are like, yes. I know because you have. <laughs> I, mean, I can just tell you story after story of people just shocking me, saying, we're moving to Greensburg. We're coming to, we're coming to lock arms. We're going to do this thing by God's grace. That's what we want to be a part of. I'll get my cappuccino on Monday. We're a little gritty. We're a little grimy. If you're like, man, I really want comfort. You're going to get sun coming into your eyes. You're not going to have places to sit. People are going to sit near you. Uh, it's going to happen. Get used to it. Because it's not going away. Why? Because about the time it does, rigor mortis sets in. Because you got enough people. you got enough friends. you got enough money. you got enough this. you got enough that. We don't really need any more people. Oh, you would never say that. Because you're too slick. Second point, gospel ministry is war. It's war. If you're like, it's not war to me, you're probably not doing it. And when I say gospel ministry, I don't mean pastor work. If you're in Christ, you're all ministers of the gospel. The question is, are you effective and faithful, or are you ineffective and unfaithful? That's the only question. But I'm going to tell you right now, the closer you walk with Christ, it's war. It's absolute war. The church of Jesus, near and far, is on a global mission against the gates of hell. That's <laughs> what you're doing. We don't have flesh and blood enemies. If you do, repent. Forgive them. Seek to love them. If you need to set up boundaries, do that work, but love them. Why? Because Christ loved you while you were an enemy. Christ loved me while I was an enemy. Now we get to be like, ready? It's not shocking. Jesus. We don't like that kind of Christianity. Whoa, deny yourself? That sounds a little oppressive, Jesus. Pick up your cross? Eh, that sounds a little dangerous. I mean, that sounds like, like, you know, like death. Where are you going? He said, follow me. Where are you headed? I'm heading to the cross to die. What's he saying to you? Die. Ugh. I don't know. I think Chuck E. Cheese is calling my name. 
Is that, listen, do you think of gospel ministry as war? If not, you've just fallen asleep. And you're probably not talking to anyone much different than you. You've just surrounded yourself with happy, slappy people just like you. And you never watch PG-13 movies unless Jesus is being crucified in it. That's fine. But you're missing the point. There will come a day when Jesus will rip open the sky and you will feast with him forever. Today's going to be the smallest glimpse of that. We're going to feast. We're going to enjoy. We're going to celebrate. We're going to just be so thankful, I hope, for King Jesus. It's a glimpse. That day's coming. Too many people want it to be today, and so they have just taken vacation till he comes. While your neighbors die around you, never hearing the gospel. How much must you hate someone to know the life-giving message of the gospel and not share it with them? How much must you hate them? You'd have to hate them. You're like, but I'm afraid. Okay, I can work with that. We'll, we'll disciple you. We'll teach you. Because what's going to happen is we're going to just teach you to look at Jesus. And as you look at Jesus and as you see him, you're like, how can I not share him? How can I not? See, what you don't need to hear is go share the gospel more. What you need is you need to receive the gospel more. You need to receive the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life you could never live. He died the death you and I deserve to die. He triumphantly resurrected from the grave. He defeated Satan's sin and death. And he calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to quit living life your way, to turn and to trust him. Oh, and by the way, what's he want to give you? Life abundantly with the Father. He's not a killjoy. He was killed for your joy. Do you think of Christ that way? If not, have your mind changed. Just have your mind changed. And when you do, and you realize Jesus is true treasure. He is abundant. His word is like honey on my lips. He is satisfying. He is sufficient. He is sweet. He's everything I've always wanted. He satisfies. What do you think you'll tell your friends about? It'll be more than a Netflix series you just watched. You tell them about this good news. I believe that with my absolute whole heart. By all power of Christ, we are going to raid the domain of darkness by God's grace. And we will, by God's grace, carry captives to safety. And as we go, we will say to them, awake, O sleeper. Not these exact words. That might be weird. You have to give context. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine upon you. See, church, what our aim is to keep kicking at the darkness until it bleeds light. That's it. When will we get a building? I don't know if ever. I don't really care. I don't know. I really don't. Well, it gets cold in the winter. We need a building. I got, we got one. We might have standing room only. Is, is that okay? Is that okay? Will you give up your seat for someone who needs to hear the good news? I will. I don't sit anyway. We believe it for the city church that God's word and his spirit are sufficient for God's ministry. If you look at this text, what did Jesus do? He opened the word and he was full of the spirit and he was on mission. That's all we're seeking to do. I want to keep it very simple. Our values here at For the City Church is to love Christ, not in the sappy way that this culture defines love. Love requires sacrifice of self. Living sacrifice, though, right? No weird stuff, right? I lay down my life in glad submission for King Jesus. Why? Because he's done that in my place on the cross. I gladly do it, right? So his word, his spirit, sufficient for his mission that he's called us upon. People say all the time, well, what if in America we just can't worship freely on Sunday? Well, then we'll gather somewhere and we'll worship. We'll figure it out. Well, what if they kill you? Paul said to die is gain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? We'll find out. He'll help us. Because I know right now some of you are thinking, there's no way I can do that. You're right, you can't. Neither can I. 
And if you thought, I can do that, you're so full of it. (laughs) The only way any of us can do that is his spirit supplies the grace needed to stand in that moment. Otherwise, I will bend the knee and say whatever to to Rome or to any other place. But your father will help you because he's giving you real help in the spirit. We have the gift of the spirit as children of God. Okay, listen to this and then we are done. When the risen Lord Jesus confronted Saul, who now is Paul, I want you to listen to what he says. He said, this is the effect that your teaching will have. He said in Acts 26, 17 and 18, I am sending you, Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the call. That's the work. When? Every day that ends in day. Monday, Tuesday, right? Like, I'm not going to do the whole week. But that's the call. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just on missional community group night when we gather. It's your life. It's your life. Well, I didn't sign up for that. Then you don't know the Bible. You don't know what Christ has called you to. And, it's t- and that's okay that you're there. I didn't either. I was so clueless when I got saved. And I stayed clueless for at least five years clueless as a born-again man but as I continue to just engage the Lord he continued to open my eyes this life ain't about you Scott can you be content with that man if you could see that and believe that your life would get exponentially more enjoyable because you all make horrible gods and so do I (laughs) well you trust the one who is We trust the great I am. Think about this. Without embracing the gospel, the souls of former demoniacs who were set free will be empty for a season but spend eternity with demons. Right? Doing ministry without gospel. That's what I want you to think of because Jesus was unwilling to do that. We're unwilling to do that. I'm unwilling to do that. People who were physically ill and healed only had their body that way for a season, eventually died physically, and will now be spending eternity in hell in a physical body for eternity. I could go on and on. Only embracing the truth of the gospel will set you free. And our culture doesn't understand freedom. Because we think free in a sense of generally only one way, and I can do what I want. Well, essentially, freedom is the ability to do whatever you want without hindrance. I would agree with that. And every person who doesn't love Jesus isn't free because you're a slave to sin. You do what you want. Only when we come to faith in Christ by His grace and His Spirit opening our eyes to believe that He is truly beautiful will you be set free to love Him, which is what you were created to do. You are not only set free from sin, but you're set free to delight, to delight, to enjoy. What? Better questions, who? Jesus, forever. And he, listen, he loves you. This is where we definitely end, I promise you. He loves you. And not in some Care Bear squishy, cushy way. He loves you so much that he was willing to come to wrestle with Satan, to get potentially thrown off a cliff, to have everyone revile him, to have everyone to shame him, to be called a glutton and to be called a drunkard because he had guilt by association, and to continue to go to the outcast, break bread with smiling crooked tooth sinners and tell them, oh, I got good news for you. All the shiny, happy people out there think that they actually have me. They don't have me. They don't have me. But I got good news for you. I've come for people just like you. You poor, you broken, you blind. Listen, I'm going to give you sight, sight to see that I love you. And you want to see the pinnacle of my love? Then, well, you just wait. And Jesus, we're going to see it. You already know it if you're in Christ. Otherwise, I don't know how you're in Christ. Goes to the cross. And in that moment, willingly laid down his life 
For the joy that was set before him stretched out his arms and took your place, my place. He substituted his life for our life. What you and I deserve is God's wrath. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus said, I'll receive death in their place. Let me receive their punishment. I will substitute myself for them. He became sin. He became all the wretchedness that you and I are as we war against God and we give him the finger, not number one, and tell him we want nothing to do with his ways. And he had every right to crush us, and instead he sent his son to be crushed in your place. And he did it because of love. Because of love, because it's the only way you and I could ever draw near to a holy God as a sinful people. So he takes our punishment and goes to the grave. And the moment that you trusted and believed in him, you were in the grave with him. Because you're, you need to die. Not physically, but you needed to die. That's what you needed. Jesus took your death. You went to the grave. But here's the deal. Most people stop right there, and you miss it all. Because in that moment, he triumphantly resurrected from the grave because he had no sin. So he took you and your sin to the grave. He triumphantly resurrected, defeating Satan's sin and death. And guess who resurrected with him? If you're in Christ, you. And you resurrected in new life born again, right? What, that's what it means to be born again. Therefore, the old has passed away. That's not who you are. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. What are you? Well, if you're trusting in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, then guess what? You are a child of God. And no one nor nothing could ever rip you from his hand. Why? Because he's done it. It's finished. It's finished. Well, what do we do between now and his return? Go tell people that good news. Go and lay down your life to love people. We think the way in America to happiness is to get more and to have people serve us. If you understand the gospel, you'll gladly lay down all of that and serve people and be wrung out for the gospel. Be wrung out for the gospel. Why? So that more people might be in heaven with you because you know the greatest news ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be reminded once again that we were all poor, we were all blind, we were all captive, we were all in need of liberation, and that you sent your son to do that work. Lord Jesus, I pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, that if anyone is far from you, either in religion or irreligion, that you would open their eyes to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their sins and that they would trust in you today and that today would be the day of salvation and that they would joyfully follow you the rest of their lives. For your church, Lord, I pray that you would just... <sighs> show up like lightning across the black sky and be clear as day what it is you've called us to do until the day you return. We ask in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.